0: Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Well, welcome to Thrive this morning. hope you guys are doing uh, well and excited to be with you. I'm Kevin, the lead pastor. If you don't know me, if you're near here today, I want to welcome you to Thrive. And if you will, put your guest card in the blue basket um, over there uh, at our welcome table. We'd love to stay in contact with you. The way we do it at Thrive is if you don't put your card in there, we're going to find you. And we're going to send those guys in white shirts and black ties on bikes to your house. But if you put your, if you put your connection card in there, we'll just send a handwritten note to you. Is that a good deal? No pressure. No pressure. Uh, great to be with you guys tonight. I look forward to getting together with newcomers tonight at 6 p.m. in our cafe. Um, at the Richmond campus, they'll be doing the same thing. If you're new with us today, I want you to know that in a, in a parallel universe, in a galaxy far, far away, actually across the river here in Richmond, um, we have another campus and it's our Richmond uh, campus over there and there's a Thrive Church over there worshiping too. The guy that spoke today was not bald-headed though. Um, usually I travel back and forth between campuses, so I'll leave here, hop in the car, drive there, preach, and then drive back for you at 11. Today I had it easy, man. Um, all I had to do was just hang out here between services. Today Pastor Mark, the campus pastor, he spoke over there today. And um, it was awesome because he's sharing the same exact message, the outline, the idea of the seven churches that I'm sharing with you today. And so if you ever want to visit our Richmond campus, know that we are synced together. If you know that type of terminology between your iPad and your iPhone, we are synced. And so um, just be praying for that campus and what God's doing. They've been doing awesome the past several weeks, and we're excited to see what's happening across the river in a galaxy far, far away. Um, well, today, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Revelation. Yep, Revelation 3, verse 1. You're like, seriously, I hadn't come to church in years, and you put me to Revelation. I sure am. Welcome to Thrive. Good to have you. Um, we'll be in Revelation 3, verse 1 today. We're in a series about the seven churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus highlights. We'll be looking at that today. And as you turn, there, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer before we get to work. God, we praise you for a beautiful morning to gather together and just celebrate the finished work of Jesus in our lives. Uh, Lord, there's no greater joy than coming together and singing about your love. Uh, Lord, gathering with the other believers. And Lord, also looking at your word to gain encouragement and correction and help God in our daily journey. So I pray today, God, as we open up your word, as we look at it today, that, Lord, you would speak powerfully to every heart, and that, Lord, you would help me not leak into this text, but rather, I pray your word would ring true, Father, um, in this message. It's in Jesus' good name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Well, today we're looking at the church in Sardis, and last week we looked at the church in Thyatira. I talked to you, talked to you about love is not tolerance, and thank you for showing back up. Usually when you preach love is not tolerance and tolerance is not love, people don't come back, but I saw that you back. Came back. Thank you uh, for doing that. And You can laugh with me. Uh, my jokes are dry, so you didn't have a lot of coffee. You got to work hard. All right. That's why we do it at Thrive. And then also, if you decide to clap, don't do a golf clap. Do a full-out football clap, um, if you know what that means. So this week, we're in Sardis. We're talking about uh, the, the, uh, the church there. And they were a church that had a problem with pride. And today, I want to talk to you about that same topic, because I believe many of us can look at that church and gain some wisdom from it. There was a story in the Battle, the battle of the Civil War. There was a, a union a general named John Sedgwick, and he was crossing over a bridge, and his team saw him and they said, Hey, General, you may want to duck because you know, the other troops are somewhere in those woods and we've got to be careful. He said, That's nonsense. I ain't worried about them guys. And boom, they killed him. That's a form of pride. And I heard one guy say this he said, God pickles the proud and preserves the foolish. And today, the church at Sardis dealt with that same thing. See, the city of Sardis, if you look at the first century, was about 120,000 people. About half the size of Ephesus, so it wasn't quite the big metropolis there. But they were a very rich city, a very powerful city, and a very prideful city. People loved Sardis. They loved to live there. As a matter of fact, they had two earthquakes uh, that happened, and those folks built the city back with their own money. No help from Rome, no help from government. They had that much money. One thing unique about Sardis is, is that they actually had a place you could mine gold and silver there. And they're one of the first places in history to mint their own gold and silver coins. And so Sardis had it made. We can make our own money. We can rebuild our own city. We can do whatever's needed. We don't need anybody else. And so you can almost sense as you study the history of Sardis, this pride that was there. They had a strong military force. They were not scared of other armies coming through and taking over. As you look at the church at Sardis, um, as we look at that, you can tell that the people of Sardis were proud people. And the church at Sardis had some pride issues in a bad way. And I want to look at what Jesus says to them in Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's look at that. He says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, I need to stop there for a second because if I keep going, you'll be wondering like, what does that mean? And like through the whole message, you'll never get past that one point, right? Um, when you look at this here and it says that these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Uh, we don't know exactly what this means, but we can kind of just look and figure some things. I studied and looked at what scholars said and all this and all that. The seven spirits of God, seven represents completeness in the Bible. If you see the number seven, that's perfection or completeness. Now, uh, what that could mean there is it could be a reference to the Holy Spirit of God being complete there. That's one thing one scholar said. Don't look at me like that. That's just what he said. I'm just giving you the the message. The other uh, thought process is this, and this may be the, the, the best one to use uh, when you're looking at this here because no other writer uses this term uh, in the New Testament, is the seven spirits of God meant the seven angels that were part of the seven churches that were, I mean, right now, do you understand there are There are invisible angels that are out there in the spirit world. Do you realize there's invisible demons too? I mean, hopefully you you know that. And so there's, there's angels that God assigns to certain areas and certain regions and churches. Read Daniel and you'll see that. And so it, what we can see here is that there, there's probably seven major angels over these major regions of Ephesus and Thyatira and Sardis and Pergamum. And what Jesus is saying is I'm the one who is over them. I am Lord over those regions. I'm Lord over the angels. I am Lord of all. Because if you read every other in, in a title that Jesus gives in the seven churches, the big idea is this. I'm Jesus. I am ruling and reigning supreme. And if this fits in with that type of thought process. Remember last week? He had the flames of fire in his eyes. Remember that? Remember the week before, Jesus had that Braveheart sword? Right? I mean, he wasn't Jesus holding the lamb. He was Jesus holding the sword. I want shirts made like that. Do you remember like growing up as a kid, you had Jesus on the wall in the Sunday school class petting the lamb? There ain't nowhere in the Bible Jesus pets a lamb. i tell you something. Three weeks ago, we saw Jesus had a sword, man. I like that type of Jesus. He's bad. Bad to the bone. Um, And it says he holds the seven stars. Now, there you've got to understand this, what says the seven stars, is that it probably represented the seven geographic regions there again. We're talking about seven churches. And so, just to help you think through that a little bit as you read, um, um, there's sometimes, there's some things in Scripture, and let me help you. You ready? If the Bible's not clear, guess what? We can't go any further with it. So some things you just don't well, as far as you can go with it. And if you start making a doctrine out of it, then you know, we'll, uh, we'll sit down and talk with you. So anyway, uh, he goes on to say, after all that deep stuff, he says this, and this gets very practical. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you're really dead. See, the, the city of Sardis had a reputation. It's like Hollywood's got a reputation, right? You think of the glitz and the glamour and the stars. Well, Sardis had a reputation. Well, the church at Sardis had a reputation too. And Jesus said, I know your works. So it's like, man, that church got it going on. Yeah, I'm going to go to the church at Sardis. The truth of the matter is they didn't have it going on. They were spiritually dead. And many of us in here um, can fall in that same boat where we want to have a reputation. People see us and they see one thing, but the truth of the matter is we're actually another. We can put a good face on Twitter and a good face on Instagram and a good face on Facebook, but the truth of the matter is we may be spiritually dead. And that's what the truth of Sardis was. There was no more prayer. There was no more seeking God. The people didn't read the Bible when they came to church on Sundays. It was a church that was truly dead. Now watch what what Jesus says here watch what he says he says this he says be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die for I've not found your works perfect before God he's speaking to the church of Sardis and watch what he says here remember therefore how you have received and heard hold fast and repent and this is the key here. Why don't you grab onto this. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know which hour I will come upon you. That's probably referencing the second coming of Jesus. Jesus will return one day. And uh, he wants to make sure when we're, when we're returning, uh, when he's returning, we're watching. That's the whole key. And he says, make sure that you're watching. Some of you are out on Saturdays partying it up. Jesus could come back. And while you're bumping and grinding in the club, and Jesus comes back. He's going to leave your butt sitting right there bumping and grinding during the tribulation. I'm sorry. We are real here at Thrive. Um, all right. Verse 4 says this. Let's, let's move on there. Be ready. You need to watch. As a matter of fact, tap three people and say, watch, watch, watch says this. It says, uh, you have a few names, even in Sardis, now watch this, who have not defiled their garments. There was a, there were some people there left in that church that were faithful to Jesus. They were loving Jesus and serving Jesus. He says, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. They weren't out bumping and grinding in the club. Verse 5 says this, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, as we look at this church at Sardis, there's one thing you've got to realize that probably happened here. It was a a city of, 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 of being proudful, and there were a church that had pride that crept in. Now, one thing to write in your notes, if you're going to take one thing back with you home, And one thing to discuss discuss over lunch today, discuss this. Pride produces laziness. Pride produces laziness. I mean, watch college football. How is it that a team that is so bad that is a small school will take out a top-ranked team? I can tell you why. That team didn't prepare. They thought, we'll come in and thump these jokers. And they get beat. And it's the same way with us. Whenever we let pride creep into our life, we get a little lazy. We stop watching. We stop really caring. We stop being diligent with the things of God. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is how do we combat this type of pride in our lives? How do we kick this type of pride out of our life? Look at uh, the first point here. Write this in your notes. How do you do this? Avoid the one-step rule. Avoid the one-step rule. Y'all all know the one-step rule, right? Okay, if you don't, you, you'll, you'll uh, How do you gain weight? One calorie at a time, right? How do you get in debt? One bad purchase on your credit card at a time. How do we walk away from God? One step at a time. How does our heart grow cold toward God? One degree at a time. And somewhere along the line, Sardis got to a place where Jesus had to correct them. They had walked away from the Lord and Jesus had to speak to them about this. It's the one step rule. And let's just be real here in church. We've all been affected by it. Some of you today feel like I am not one step, but I'm 30,000 steps away from God. I have walked so far and so far away from the Lord and can I encourage you for a second if you're in that boat and you're like I have walked 30,000 steps away you're ever only one step away from Jesus. When you turn to him, he fully receives you. When you repent, he, he restores you and, and he will empower you. So if you feel like you're that far from God, I got good news today. You're ever only one step away from Jesus. And I've watched this so much and the burden of me as a pastor uh, I think really lies here because I've seen it, you know, in ministry now, this is 11 years um, you know, doing ministry of some sort. And I've watched people, out. The waters of baptism, excited, and then walk right one step away, one step, one step right back into the lifestyle they were once living. And as a pastor, that burdens my heart. My my heart here is not that we fill up Thrive Church with a bunch of people. Now, if you keep coming, we're going to keep putting chairs out and doing that. My heart is, man, that you guys fully follow Jesus. This is why I do what I do. This is why I pray for you. Not to grow a big church but have people that are pursuing the Lord. And so many times I've seen people walk right away from Jesus. And it doesn't happen all at once, does it? Right? Think about it. You never hear the story of a man waking up one day, he murders someone, and you say, well, how did it happen? Well, I just, I don't know. I woke up one day and decided to do it. It was all these compromises along the way, right? You, you guys have watched those shows on like Saturday night at 10 p.m. where They're showing like the history of these mystery things. You're like, and you see how this guy's life unravels one step at a time. Nobody ever gets up and says, man, I'm going to commit adultery on my, on my um, wife. Nobody does that, do they? One step at a time. I had a a guy that I was connected with in youth ministry. And you you wouldn't know him. And he was 15 years old. He was really on fire for Jesus. He loved Jesus. Serving Jesus. Passionate for Jesus. He even got to preach on a Sunday morning for a youth day. At 16 years old. And I watched this young man go from loving Jesus, serving Jesus, on fire for Jesus to smoking crack. He didn't, we didn't he didn't lead it walk off the stage from leading worship and light it up, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it started with a small compromise here, the wrong relationship there, this here, and before you knew it he walked away from God. It was one small step at a time And friends, let me encourage you. If you want to come against this type of pride in our lives, avoid the one-step rule. Make sure in your life that you are... And ask yourself this. Where is this one step leading me? Where? What direction is this one step carrying me to? And if you ask that question, I guarantee you'll, you'll uh, keep from walking 30,000 steps away. Here's the second point this morning. How do you combat this type of pride? You need to watch. Or you need to watch out. <laughs> simply write that in your notes. Watch or watch out. The second way to combat this type of pride is watch or watch out. Here's the deal. You've got to be watchful. And, the, and what Jesus said twice to the church at Sardis is you must watch. Now, being watchful is where you're attentive and you're following and seeing what's happening around you. It's, we get prideful, we, we just stop caring, don't we? Right? We're not as intense or diligent as we used to be. So here, let me, let me help you with this real quick. Two questions that you've got to ask yourself, okay? Two questions. What is God doing in my life? If I sat down with you and I asked you, what is God doing in your life? Could you answer me? And then you need to answer the question, what is Satan doing or trying to do in my life? If you can answer those two questions, that means you're being very aware. You're being very watchful. And you have to know what's happening on each one of those. See, Gideon, if you remember the Old Testament story, Gideon had all these troops, thousands of troops that were coming to fight in a battle with him. And God said... I'm going to be cutting these troops down for you. And one of the tests that God gave was this. He told them to get down to the river. And he said, there's there's two types of people that are going to be on your team. The first type, they do this here. At the river, they lap. Okay? They can't see anything. He said, but the other type of people do this and they get to the river. And they're watching. And they're watching. And everybody thinks it's a great miracle that Gideon had 300 people that destroyed an army. Can I tell you the truth? He had people who were watchful, people who were attentive. He didn't have folks who were not paying attention and who weren't, who weren't thinking. And he, in my life, in your life, as you're going through life, be attentive to what the Lord's doing in your life. Reflect on that. Take time with that. But also be attentive. What could the enemy be trying to do in my life through this? Um, I actually take time on Wednesdays and, and do that. And I sit down and try to figure out in my life, and I pause each week and say, "God, what are you doing? What have you been speaking to me to through, through, through the word? And I just kind of reflect on some things, and I try to figure out okay when i 've hit bad days i 've had bad moments, what is Satan trying to do in my life as well? Now coach yourself on that and allow the Lord to help you you 'll watch or you 'll watch out. Let me ask you this, in what areas of your life are you not watchful? you've just kind of been slipping. Not paying attention to the things of God. Here's the third point this morning. If you're going to combat pride, you've got to know your weaknesses. It's good to know your strengths. Now, you need to know your strengths. And let me just, before I go to weaknesses, let me say this. I've sat with people before and said, tell me three strengths that you have. And they couldn't tell me. Know your strengths as a person. Know how God's gifted you. But can I help you with something? Also know your weaknesses. Know your weaknesses. Before you marry someone, you need to sit down and ask them, you probably know them, but say, what are your weaknesses? What are you bad at? If they can't answer it, don't marry them. (laughs) Because that means they think they're awesome. (laughs) They think they're they're the stuff. Know your weaknesses. Know the things that you are bad at. I'm going to tell you a little secret. If you'll just date somebody long enough, they'll they'll show them to you if they don't know them. And then you ain't got to worry about it. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's free marriage advice for all the singles in here. Here, But what Jesus does is, at every one of these churches is, he shares their weaknesses with them. We have this uh, you know, belief, especially in America, that God not going to say anything bad to me. God just loves me. He does love you. As I've said every week, he loves you enough not to leave you the way that you are. And so Jesus actually shares weaknesses with this church. He's like, hey, there's some things you've got to work on. And if you're going to combat pride, you've got to know your weaknesses, things that the Lord can work on in your life. See, the writer of Hebrews says this that God corrects those he loves. So if he loves you, then he's going to correct you, he's going to speak to you, he's going to say, watch out. Don't go in that direction, don't go in that relationship. Be careful with that addiction, be careful with this because he loves you. So much. See, knowing your weaknesses can actually produce humility in your life. You need to have people who are not impressed with you. You do. And matter of fact, are you married? How many, how many married couples do we have in here today? All right, I just talked to the singles. Now, married couples, you, you get some help. You have somebody who's not impressed with you. They're called your spouse. They pick up your dirty drawers. They wash your dishes in the sink. They're not impressed with you. Uh, You know, so if you ever want to know the truth, ask your spouse. They will help you do that. As I said before, on Wednesdays, one thing I do is I reflect on my role. How have I been doing as a husband this week? Where, Where have I gotten frustrated with my wife? And where have I, you know, been upset with her? Where have I been short with her? Yeah, I do that, guys. I don't walk on water, I tread water. I try to just keep my head above it. (laughs) And so I have to reflect on that. How have I been as a pastor? How have I been with our staff? Where are the areas that that I need to get better at? I actually have a ministry coach I talk to once a month. And he helps me work through those things too. I call him and he shares those with me. I'm close with this story here on Pride. There was a former heavyweight boxer named James Quick Tillis and if you were live in the 80's you may know him but he came from Oklahoma and he decided to move to Chicago to go through boxing and when he got to Chicago he had two cardboard suitcases in his hand he gets to Chicago he sets those suitcases down he looks up and says I'm going to conquer Chicago and he looks down and both the suitcases were gone (laughs) That's sometimes what happens in our life, and that's sometimes what we go through. We go through seasons, and I just feel like I'm here today to kind of say, hey man, wake up, some of you, in a loving way. Maybe you've been kind of been going through the motions. You've been on autopilot, and you've not been watchful. But Jesus tells the church at Sardis twice, be on watch. Be watchful. Sometimes we let pride creep in, and we get a little, you know, it's... We're at our best when we're seeking God, right? We really are. And it's the times when you're going through all, when all hell breaks loose. You're like, my life's going bad. It's usually that's when you seek God. It's when it gets good. When, when, you know, when, when, you know, you, you can't find any money to pay bills. And then all of a sudden, the next year, you have enough money to get the boat and get the house and get the vacation home. And that's when you forget about God. It's easy to in those times, isn't it? But a lot of times when we're really struggling and really going through it, that's when we are at our best is when we're seeking God and going after Him. Let me encourage you today. Be watchful. Be alert. Be spiritually attentive. And watch for what God's doing. And be very aware that there's an enemy that hates your soul, man, who's at work. And I guarantee if you if you will ask yourself those two things, you will avoid a lot of roadblocks in life. Amen. If you will, just stand to your feet this morning. And as you stand to your feet, um, I want you to just take a moment. You can just close your eyes. And I want you to think right now where you're at. I want you to create a sacred moment. And the band's going to sing a song in a second. They're going to lead us in some worship. And I want you to take a second and think, where are you at right now? Have you been watchful? Have you gotten spiritually lazy? And I want you, as the, as the band sings, to realize that day in love, the same Jesus who spoke to the church at Sardis 2,000 years ago, speaks to you and me today. And, there, and he's saying to us, be watchful. Be watchful because he loves us. As Raven sings this song, why don't you take a...